Hi, Neil. Hi, Serge. So, maybe a good way to start is to ask you how you started doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I would say about ten years ago, uh, I was in the final stage of my studies in marriage and family therapy, and uh, I was working with uh, parents who were in the midst of divorce, and children began to be sent to me, and what to do with children. Mm-hmm. I was uh, a divorced and remarried dad. I'd experienced uh, the pain of my own children in divorce, and certainly I had read your book and been affected by it and uh, realized that there was the possibility for my helping not only parents but kids. So the first part of the work actually was that my supervisor at the time said, oh, do you know about sand play? Mm -hmm. I said, no. And uh, she said, uh, well, why don't you read these things? Uh, and it was about Jungian work and symbols and children working very somatically and viscerally with symbols in the sand. And so I brought into my office a small sandbox, began bringing in Figures, dragons, dinosaurs, bears, uh, mother kangaroos with their babies in their pouches. And kids began to play. And so that was my first experience with the somatic in therapy with children. Then later, uh, I was in the midst of training in core energetics and uh, the body centered piece entered in a deeper way, which I can talk to you about further. Yeah. So how does the somatic piece enter in that perspective? So in looking at the body, I first have to think about myself and how I was affected somatically by my own family experience. I grew up in a household where my mother was quite sad, quite functional and brilliant, and also depressed, and I sensed that. And so I know now, through my own work as a, as a client in somatic therapy, that certain parts of my body began to close down. My breath became very shallow. Uh, my body became uh, at, at its extremities, in my hands, at times with fear, cold. Um, and I would say that there was a tendency to move towards the cognitive, uh, and away from the body. 
Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, this work uh, in healing and, and the healing of children is about, on one level, the healing of the inner child in me. Mm-hmm. And so, I found that working with children, I noticed very early on that in family difficulties such as divorce, the kids were literally stumbling into the room. And in a sense, very ungrounded. And how could I address this, not only as a family therapist, uh, but also someone trained in core energetics? Um, how could I adapt some of what I knew to pain in children. And so initially the work became, first of all, fun. My initial supervisor in the kids' work is Dennis McCarthy. Dennis is the creator of dynamic play therapy. Uh, He invented things like the the hitting contest, which is working with a cube and a bataka and kids just hitting hitting away, moving energy uh, with a lot of joy uh, and uh, getting pleasure in the fact that uh, they can hit. Dennis, uh, who's my mentor in the kids' work, work and the editor of uh, the book Deep Play, uh, exploring the, the use of depth in psychotherapy with children, where I have a chapter uh, that recently came out, uh, Dennis says when a kid hits 300 times, his or her life changes. And the reality is I've, I've seen that. I've seen kids get much more grounded. So the somatic entered uh, dramatically. So when you're talking about 300 times, 300 times in a row or 300 times over a session or 300 times over a month, you know, what's, uh, just to have a sense of what we're talking about here. Uh, that's, that's funny because it depends on, on the kid. Yeah. Uh, certain kids are, are very uh, uh, competitive and so it's, it's hitting in the same session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, other kids uh, want to play with the rules and, and uh, so... Uh, but the reality is that, that the current rule uh, is uh, in the same session, and the leading kid right now has about 1,200 hits wow. on cue. But so, so it's a very striking because we're talking about the kids coming into the room and stumbling into the room and that sense of, in a way, shutting down and being pushed and being constrained. And in contrast, you talk about the joyful hitting and, uh, you know, at least 300 times, uh, which is exactly the, you know, in a visual way, the strongest form of engagement and, uh, and expression that you could have. So, um, I could see the, the transformation you're talking about there. Yes, and and uh, you know a, a key part of the transformation is kids being able to uh, feel their own bodies. You know, we the cube is also used. The foam cube uh, is also used in uh, uh, even a more dramatic way with kids, uh, and now we do this with adults too, uh, uh, kids really sort of smashing their bodies against the cube, bouncing off it, climbing on it, 
uh, experimenting with how big they can be uh, when they're standing on top of a cube. Uh, and uh, it's just, uh, it's a joy to see kids uh, begin to open up using some of these uh, approaches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so maybe... In the practical, uh, I have the before scene, which is the kid, uh, you know, being shepherded there by parents who are worried about them and, uh, you know, a little shut down and so on and kind of almost reluctantly entering the space. Then I have the after scene of the kid jumping around, uh, bouncing off the cube or, you know, beating on the cube joyfully. And so, so what happens in between? What's the transition? Sure. Well, first of all, let me just say that, that, uh, Lately, I've, I've been uh, really impressed uh, and grateful uh, to people like um, uh, Jackie Carlton, who's you know the the uh, longtime editor of, of the the work uh, and, and the journal, the International Association of Body. Uh, uh, psychotherapy uh, journal and and now and she's introduced me to the work of, of uh, uh, Asaf uh, Rolof Ben Shahar mm-hmm. who's working in the relational sense uh, with families and and what I want to tell you is that what happens in between is a relationship with with parents I mean structured into this now with the work with children is meeting every four to six sessions usually with parents because the family system is a limiting is a limiting almost a break on energetic expression mm-hmm. and so what I'm basically saying is that uh, one of the critical parts of this is seeing how a, a child can fit back into the family system and how you can move transference in a, in a positive way back into the family and where, where the kid can actually be a, a, an engine of healing within his or her own family. So I'm not sure if I'm getting to, to answering that question. I'm wondering if you have a follow-up there. Well... Um, I think it's good you're giving some background around that, but in a way, my question is much more down to earth about, um, you know, session one, uh, kid comes in, mm-hmm. you know, how do you actually, you know, introduce that relationality in a way that shifts the kid from that uh, shutdown mode or, you know, identified patient mode mm-hmm. into the joyful expression? And does it happen in session one all the time, or is there? Uh, but in a way, what's the um, what's the transition? How do you lead the kid from, you know, where they come from as a product of that family system? Sure. Into well, that new space. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this involves a certain amount of tracking. Uh, what Marsha and Brian Gleason talk about as leading by following in mm-hmm. the couples' work. Um, and, uh, uh, and so in the sense it's, it's matching my own pace to that of the, of the child. If a kid comes in and the kid is, the child is playful, 
I will be playful. If the child likes to speak in voices and accents, I'll match that. Uh, if a, and, and the, the, the magic of this, of course, is that we're not just in a talk therapy room. We're in a room where kids have a chance to use the language of play and use things that they would use in play, whether it's sand or clay or um, a ball they can bounce on, a big exercise ball they can bounce on. And, and I should mention that. Session, invariably, young people, and the youngest I'm working with now is, is seven. Young people, and the oldest right now at the moment is is 15, just about 16 now. Mm-hmm. Um, invariably, the, uh, the exercise ball, um, with adults, of course, cornogenics people use rollers. Um, young people, you're better off with an exercise ball. M- most of the kids love to bounce on the ball, and that begins to move energy. So that's that's often session one and the thing which begins to loosen things up. And then you begin to see the kid and the child coming out more uh, as themselves in session. Right, right. So the ball, in a way, is the uh, the invitation to uh, to play and to start moving energy and feeling that energy. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you follow it. Yeah, and not only are you following, uh, you're following also the motion of the child. So what you see often, and I talk about this in, in the chapter in Deep Play, is this real strong forward momentum. Kids, young people have a lot of energy. And so the, the forward momentum which in some ways is is ungrounded mm-hmm. and joyful, is something which can be balanced over time with some calming movement, whether that's breathing, whether that's... Actually, I'm going to use the... Uh, I'll often jump with a child in session. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's bringing the energy down as opposed to moving forward, uh, which I'm not, I'm not interested in stopping. I'm just interested in, in balancing. So, so the child comes with a lot of energy, and that energy is going to be bouncy, is going to be moving forward. And, uh, and so, of course, you want to tap into it, but you're going to also do something more grounding, like the jumping up and down. Mm-hmm so that there is that sense of that energy settling. Yes, yes. It's, uh, I think, uh, Asaf Roloff Ben-Shahar, uh, in speaking and writing about, uh, about, um, resonance, you know, in a sense, what we're look, what I'm looking for is kids beginning to, young people beginning to resonate more with themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, there there is a there's the there's the calming aspect, uh, and there's the charge aspect. So again, 
as you would with adults, the work is entrainment for a young person in uh, what's possible in noticing the that energetic cycle. That's a concept for adults, energetic cycle. Mm-hmm. Kids, kids feel it on a, uh, a a more visceral embodied level. They're more in touch, I think, than a lot of adults who first come into the room. So what's it like, how does, um, say, a 10-year-old um, experience this energetic cycle? Or a 7-year-old or a 13-year-old? I mean, just about to take an age and to see um, how do you, you notice that experience? You know, first of all, let me just say that I'm not looking for one particular pattern in each session. Mm-hmm. So the charge aspect of things uh, may go on for a long time before calming uh, can enter the picture. Uh, because young people are often trying to... Um, they're either exploding in some ways. They could be exploding verbally at parents. They could be... Uh, hitting other kids at school. Um, and so, and those actions are usually very um, sudden and frightening to the parents and, and often people in the schools. And so what we're, what I'm looking to do in session is, is actually extend the charge allow for an ex, uh, an extended expression of charge before I think about calming, because there's so much uh, effort the other way in, in society and in the interaction of the kid with, with family and, so, and school and social structures that I want to give the kid the experience first of freedom. Freedom first, calming later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so freedom first, calming later. You're staying with the energy. You're not trying to constrain it or contain it at that time. Although there is some degree of containment inherent in the therapy room because there's a sense of safety about it. Yes, and I and I use the classic core energetics uh, uh, idea, as you say to clients, uh, don't uh, hurt me, don't hurt yourself, and don't hurt the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if a kid, if a young person is, is, uh, I use boxing gloves and, and a shield and, and young people are punching often, uh, which they, they, they have a lot of fun with, uh, they're not going above the shield to hit me in the face. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Although they like to come around the side and, and aim for my, uh, my belly. <laughs> Yeah. And so then there is time for the calming down. Mm. Yes. And the calming, often young people are not breathing into their bellies. Pretty simple. 
So that's a skill. I had a young person who came in, and there were reports of, of, of this child fainting in school as a way to manage anxiety. Wasn't doing well in school, and when he was confronted by teachers, would faint. Um, this is a young person who, over the course of a year, had done a lot of physical work in my office, and we literally, in a very calm way, talked about whether there were alternatives to fainting. <laughs> what could he notice in himself as cues that his body was about to shut down temporarily in response to stress? What could he notice could, in terms of his breathing? And so even the interaction, the interaction between this young client and myself had a very calming, almost hypnotic quality to it and had to do also with the trust and the relationship we built over time. So he doesn't faint anymore uh, and is doing a lot better. And so the calming can also at a certain point involve not only the somatic, uh, we go back to the, the consciousness piece and, and speech and its use in calming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and as you mentioned, that, um, that relationship that's building trust. Yeah, and let me just say that, that the, what's really been moving me lately is the building back of the relationship between parent and child. And a child may be seeing me an hour a week. They're with the family and, and the parent much longer. And Building back trust in the parent-child relationship, I've been bringing parents at times now into session with their children. And this has a very strong, I'll give you an example. Children often express and somatize the attachment disorders of their parents. And so in divorce, as one example, uh, there's a real loss. And so in session, I've had a young person um, working in the sand with a parent in a sandbox. I've had a young person who really missed their parent um, touch the parent's nose in a, and touch their own nose, you know, in a very beautiful mm, gesture of love. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can often be that simple, 
the trust and expression of trust and building trust can happen in a body-centered way and a very powerful way. Yeah, yeah. So, so that moment, for instance, when you were talking about the child touching the parent's nose and their own nose, was it a moment where the parent was in the session at the same time? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was a parent who had a lot of grief because of the divorce process and uh, a parent who had been very busy in the work world and... Uh, And just the sending of the child to therapy, initially the child was the identified patient, um, was a an act of faith, and one which I felt as a therapist needed my own response, which was to bring the, the parent into session with the child so that they could work out in a in a somatic sense um, and work through the loss mm-hmm. and reconnect. Mm-hmm. And so, in a nutshell, what was that working out in a somatic way? In a nutshell? Mm-hmm. Hmm. For this particular example, I guess you're asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. The face is the seat, in my view, of a lot of expression, mm-hmm. the eyes, mm-hmm. uh, the mouth, uh, and the senses, a lot of the senses are in that segment of the body. And so, you know, to me, you know, it's early. I mean, I, I'm going to bring it back to the infant for a moment. Mm-hmm. An infant, uh, you know, I guess I've been touched here by, by, Uh, Wilhelm Reich speaking about infants, uh, the work that's been done in attachment uh, with with really young children, the the baby, the, the really young child, is has operative senses like smell, uh, touch, uh, which are very. Mm, Powerful, and so, you know, I, I guess in a nutshell here, this was a multi-sensory experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This child was close, physically close to the mother, uh, in session. Uh, they were both seated. Uh, they were, and so the, the touch, I think, was only sort of the, <laughs> the tip of the iceberg in the sense that that uh that I think uh there was an overall and a stronger energetic connection which I'm going to just say is also uh, an energetic uh field connection between the parent and child so so what I'm hearing a bit and I want to double check if that's what you're talking about is that um because of the difficulty of the divorce they could be next to each other but in a way not see each other mm-hmm. and the work that happened there is that they were able to see and sense each other um, in a way that was not possible otherwise 
Yes, and and in a way which, with as children get older, uh, there's almost a reluctance, and maybe it's a cultural reluctance, to touch mm-hmm. and to hold. And you know the the need for parental love uh, continues even as the child gets older. Physical connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's in a sense what what. What we see, I remind parents all the time that their child is not going to be this age forever, and they may not be as willing to connect in in this uh, uh, loving physical way. And so, do it now. Yeah. So, so literally, in a in a very practical way, we're talking about um, a sense of connection, and it's not abstract. That that sense of embodied connection. That's going to include the touching, the looking, the paying attention, but that uh, it's it, this is very concrete, and at, at the same time very deep. It is, and and I'm going to also take a moment just to tell you a quick story about a, a slightly older kid. Uh, what I was just talking about was it was an interaction with with a seven year old, with a ten year old. Uh, there was a situation where this was a child who was having difficulty in school and was very upset and came in one day crying. And the mother was in the waiting room. And I asked the mother to come in. And she held her child. He immediately went to her, went into her arms. And they had this extended moment of care which, again, here, a child getting older, uh, maybe a parent not as comfortable with uh, the holding, and maybe the child less comfortable uh, as, as they get older with the holding, and, again, um, touch uh, and connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, touch and connection. And so, Neil... As we're coming to the end, I want to just see if it feels right to end on that note of touch and connection, or whether you might want to add something. What we're ultimately speaking about is the freedom of children. The freedom of children to explore who they can be in the world. Uh, what contribution they can make in the world, and whether they can live lives which are pleasurable, open, and that make a contribution um, children live with with very powerful images drawn from their families. There are many expectations placed on them in a society that uh, pushes them to occupy certain roles in making money, in um, living certain lives that may have been prescribed within a family. Children need to, as I have needed to, uh, discover what is right for them and what will 
as simple as what will make them feel good, what they like and what they don't like. Uh, and so ultimately the work is about returning choice to children, Retur- returning choice so that they can interact with their families, uh, take what they like from their families, and move forward with something that's joyful and powerful and that expresses who they are in the world. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com. Like. Uh, and so ultimately the work is about returning choice to children. Retur- returning choice so that they can... interact with their families, uh, take what they like from their families, and move forward with something that's joyful and powerful and that expresses who they are in the world. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.